For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to, lots to talk about. I was thinking about Al Franken today. Uh, Al Franken back, I think it was 2004, wrote a book called Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them, a fair and balanced look at the right. And and it's one of those things where you go, you know, we've known for a very long time uh, that the right, well, not always truthful, uh, not always honest, not always well forthcoming with reality. It, it's all about the lies. We know that the Republican Party has distorted, misinformed, flat-out lied about virtually every aspect of, well, reality. Especially when you look at the campaign to smear Hunter Biden. You look at the fact to defend uh, Donald Trump from the reality that there was a lot of ties to Russia and still are. Uh, And look, they have covered up, they have misdirected, they have shielded Trump and the Republican Party from their Russian connections. Um, look, this is not the party of, of Abe Lincoln or Dwight Eisenhower or even Ronald Reagan, for that matter. Uh, I got to tell you, this seems like a bunch of honeypotted Russian and corporate assets doing what they're told and desperately doing what they're told. As we find out that, well, everything that... Uh, they based their their witch hunt against Hunter Biden on seems to come from somebody who eh, little less than 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 honest, or so it appears. Uh, now you know we find out that uh, you've got this 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 informant. Let's call him that. Uh, who the James Comers of the world have used as as their smoking gun. Um, evidently, you know. Indicted, I guess now on uh, on false statements uh, and, and and false records and and you know all this stuff that was supposed to be the basis of uh, well the impeachment of, of of Joe Biden. This was supposed to be the 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 end of Biden. This was going to be how they were going to uh, you know defend Donald Trump by going after by Joe Biden. And I'll tell you what what this whole thing has done for me is it's shown Republicans who they are. Uh, but it's also showing me that, you know, I like Joe Biden a whole lot more. The kind, you know, the kind of the kind of guy you want in a position like this, the kind of father you want having children, uh, a good guy. And the fact that the lengths that Republicans have gone through, now understand, um, it is all about power. It's about control. It's about them getting what they want. And in every opportunity, and I look at, you know, this whole this whole thing, this whole witch hunt into Hunter Biden, 
which seemed orchestrated from the beginning. There's a laptop that somehow Rudy Giuliani got a hold of. Seemed fishy from the beginning. But the right media machine went all in, went all in. And now I think it's going to start to unravel even more. Now, the question is, is, you know, how do they, do they double down on, well, no, no, there's more. We've got other smoking guns that have not, you know, smoked. Uh, does all of this start to unravel? Do we have a media structure that starts going, hey, maybe we ask another question? Because understand, the, the right-wing media sphere and their corporate apologists, facts be damned, it's the narrative they want. They, they, need, they need some clickbait. They need people to pay attention. They need anger, outrage, need a horse race. And will we need to do what the wealthy want? And I look in Georgia. There's another, another moment where, uh, as I've told you before, I don't put a lot of stock in what people tell me in public. I don't put any stock in what people say on, on, on conservative talk shows or on, on CNN or fake, any of that stuff. It's what happens when they put their hand on that book that they claim to love so much uh, in a courtroom and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help them their God. Or more, more, more importantly, uh, perjury. <laughs> uh, the, the power of law to hold you accountable. Lock you up. Now, what we've heard is this 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 fantasy that somehow, you know, during the pandemic, Joe Biden learned all about coding while being sleepy all the time, that he was able to hack into machines and ca cause all of this chaos from the centralized location in the Biden basement. They were going to orchestrate the greatest coup attempt in history right under our noses, and nobody saw it. Um, you know, because there are all these stories. Uh, now, I'm not too far away from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where, uh, you know, Doug Mastriano and the Republicans held their little kangaroo court after after the election, where they brought in all of these people to tell these fantastic stories of how they saw people with thumb drives and people driving around and people standing around and talking and, and all kinds of stuff. There were just incredible tales of, of voter fraud and intimidation. And as I said then, the one thing that, that there wasn't was a, a swearing of the oath, swearing on the Bible, swearing to tell the truth under perjury. Uh, that that one little thing that makes people, you know, tell the truth. It's like a truth serum, if you will. They didn't do it anywhere. And I look at this this story coming out of Georgia with these people called True the Vote. Now we've we've talked about True the Vote people in the past. They're the ones who encouraged you know a handful of people to challenge the ballots of of thousands of people that they don't know because well because they can. And they made some really fantastic claims of, of knowing that there was all of this voter fraud that happened, that they had proof. They had the receipts. They knew there was a coordinated effort to collect and deposit ballots in these drop boxes. And it was, it was again, <laughs> conspiracy. Well, the judge, <laughs> a judge said, well, if you've got all this, this proof, uh, you've got this Fulton County Superior Court judge uh, who said, you know, if you got this, um, maybe, oh, I don't know, put up or shut up, maybe show it. Let's see. Let's provide some of that. Let's see this evidence. Well, we find out in a written response by the attorneys from True the Vote, they got nothing. 
No names, no documentation, no, nothing. No evidence whatsoever. Just fairy tales. <laughs> Just made up allegations. Because, hey, you know, lying is, you know, I guess, okay. Now, remember, these are the people who tell us that they're Christians. These are the people who want that the, those 10 rules. Uh, they want those plastered everywhere. And, and again, my theory has always been they want them plastered everywhere because they can't remember them. So they need that constant reminder to be a decent person and not lie, cheat, steal, and, and all of those things. So the question is, is when do the rest of us, when does what whatever's left of the Republican Party wake up to the reality that they've been they've been lied to? Not just duped, not fooled, but flat out, bold faced lied to. There was no conspiracy to overthrow the election. There was no conspiracy to, to get Burisma to pay Joe Biden millions of dollars to pad his lifestyle. There was none of this stuff. It's all a big lie. When do we, when do we say, I don't know, throw these bums out? Now, again, what they keep doing to us time and time again is they keep changing the narrative. There's all this stuff all the, you know, that they know is true. But they keep throwing other things out to keep us at each other's throats. And the most recent one is, well, there's going to be another recession. There's going to be a recession. How many times have we heard there's recession coming over the last, um, well, since January of, uh, of 2021? Well, how many times have we heard about recession? Yeah, well, they're, they're playing that song once again. And, and again, this is part of all part of the cover to hide what the sad reality is. And that is, well, you know, back to the, back to the book. Uh, and good on Al Franken. Uh, lies and the lying liars who tell them. What we need is we do need a fair and balanced look at these right-wing lies. And maybe, maybe in the courtroom, we start holding these people accountable. And maybe, maybe we give them some accommodations at the Gray, Gray, Gray Bar Hotel with some new apparel. Just my thoughts. Want to hear yours? Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work... For America. You're listening to The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. So economist David Rosenberg uh, of Rosenberg Research and Associates, uh, I'm not sure who he is, but he, according to Business Insider, he's an economist, and he's saying that there's an 85% chance that the U.S. economy is going to enter recession 
here in 2024. And I got to tell you, you know, the more I see these stories, the more they, they they keep boomeranging back around as if as if people want recession, as if they're they're hoping for recession. Um, and look, I guess if you predict something you know, long enough, it's it's bound to happen. But uh, he's come up with some kind of model that he believes 85 percent. So um, take it for what it is. But here to share some thoughts on what the numbers actually look like and how the economy is doing. And, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is an 85% chance uh, that by the end of the year, we're going to hit a recession. That's why I've asked my good friend, Mateus Fernando to come talk with us. He's a professor of economics at Bucknell University. Mateus, thanks for taking time for us. Oh, thank you for having me, Rick. So 85%, you, you say. That's very precise. What do you make of this, though? I mean, you know, the more that you we, we keep hearing these you know, recessions around the corner, doom and gloom is coming because uh, it sells and it scares people. Um, mm. What do you make of this? So, you know, you, you, you nailed it when you said that there is an old joke in, joke in economics that economists have predicted, you know, uh, six out of the last five recessions. And, you know, because, yeah, if you keep saying there's going to be a recession, you know, next year, at some point there'll be a recession and you'll be right. So you eventually, you know, that, you know the, the broken the broken record will you know will be right so uh, I'll say this last year it seemed more likely to me because it seemed like uh, Republicans at some point they were willing to uh, to have a government shutdown and it seemed like the Fed was gonna go increase in interest rates and that that may turn the housing market and perhaps that would have had an impact at this point all of those things you know I mean the Fed could have continued hiking the rate because inflation was still high, but inflation came down. Uh, the Fed is not going to increase. I mean, the question now is when the Fed will start reducing the rates. Republicans clearly, I think, on a political level, perhaps Trump thinks that it's a bad idea to shut down the government, so they don't seem to be going to do that because, which is true, it may backfire. It may they may be blamed for the shutdown rather than, you know, the consequence on the economy and whatnot. So I, I'm not sure. So right now there is no reason to think that there is uh, something dark in, in the horizon. So so the economy, you know, uh, the numbers are well, unemployment is low, inflation was slightly higher than they hoped. But uh, again, it means that probably the Fed will just reduce interest rate later in the year rather than sooner, um, you know, um, Income inequality has come down uh, to some extent. Uh, some of these programs have uh, sort of brought back some manufacturing jobs, uh, you know, real wages. W with all of the stuff that happened in the pandemic, it's true. I mean, we, we come from 40 years of an economy that has been anti-workers. And so the recovery, which has been exceptional, has only put us back uh, slightly above where we were in 2020, which was not great. But, you know, it's one of the best places we've been in a long while. So, And in particular, uh, the benefits of this last uh, boom have gone mostly to people at the bottom. Uh, so all of those are good things, you know. So so I, I, I don't see any reason to think uh, that there is a great chance. 85 seems like a lot. I mean, sure. I mean, I, I might be wrong and, you know, and you know, and, and we're discussing in, in six months a recession. But I would say the the probabilities of a recession at this point look, uh, you know, uh, relatively low. Yeah, I got to tell you, as I was reading through this article, and you know, Business Insider, I've always viewed as somewhat, 
you know, somewhat middle of the road. You know, you, you know, it, it's it just it's some decent reporting. I saw this as one of these things to, you know, to scare people into, you know, get out there and and make some economic moves. It's like almost a sales pitch more than actual news because this this doesn't seem like a serious prediction to me. This seems like something designed specifically to scare people into some kind of an action. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even. I, I don't know who who Mr. Rosenberg is. So, so I'm not even sure what's this sort of action that they 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 intend uh, to sort of bring with that. Perhaps is that they're they're afraid that you know they want the Fed to reduce interest rates faster. Um, I'd be surprised. You know, I mean, I I I I would be for the Fed reducing interest rates. I think that you know, particularly for housing market, uh, it would be sort of a good thing. And you know, so so in that respect. Uh, it will help not just with mortgages, but it will help with rent, which yeah. has been one of the sort of persistent things hurting working class people. Uh, but uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure what what's the sort of uh, fear. I should say that, uh, you know, this economy has been good for obviously for uh, people at the bottom, but people at the bottom in the United States have had for for a long while sort of a bad economy. This economy has also been very good for people in Wall Street. Uh, so well that's uh, one of the things he says here he says you know a recession you know and this is this is one of those duh he said if a recession did materialize it would probably be be disastrous for the stock market you go really you think a recession would be bad for wall street uh well you know wall street always recovers so so they don't suffer much so and 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 even if you know when when wall street gets into trouble and banks get into trouble you know, they're rescued. So, yeah, so that's not necessarily, you know, something that I would be too concerned. So, so my, my fears are, you know, as you know, in this, because the, the, the economy plays a, a fundamental role in, in, in politics and, and, and a recession would be a terrible thing, uh, you know, politically, I think, uh, for any sort of possibility of a progressive, a more progressive, you know, uh, but you know, uh, kind of policy in the United States uh, from from the economics point of view. So so uh, a recession could be disastrous. But I, I'm not concerned with what would happen with Wall Street. I'm concerned with what would happen politically if we have even a mild recession. You know, uh, because politically, this, you know, the current the current situation is not is not uh, one of the best. Yeah, I'm with you. Now the other thing that we keep hearing a lot about is you know we got a 34 trillion dollar debt. I keep hearing, you know, the sky's falling, Mateus. It's a lot of money. Look, it is. It's a huge number. Uh, the interest rates, you know, the interest payments on this, a big number. Uh, I keep hearing the sky's falling. The end of the world's coming. There's a currency collapse around the corner. You know, the BRIC nations are going to take over. There's all this doom and gloom and all of this this, this chaotic talk. Uh, how much of that is reality? How much of it is just, you know, hyperbole? Uh, it, it's nonsense, with all due respect. Uh, I mean, the I always say, you know, what when kids say, you know, n- numbers, uh, you know, large in comparison to what, you know, for the thirty-four, you know, uh, trillion dollars. So, so the American economy has had a incredible recovery. Uh, it's growing steadily, much more. I mean, we had news, for example, today, Japan, you know, the, the economy has tanked and. You know, and I should say China, even when they say they're tanked, you know, it's like 5% growth. But at any rate, we're doing very well. Uh, the whole of the debt of the United States is in its own currency. The United States government doesn't have any problem paying 
It spills the only possibility of having a problem. It's not an, an actual economic problem. It's a political problem of Republicans for political reasons trying to, you know, uh, not increase the, the debt ceiling. Uh, that's purely political. It has uh, no bearing on the ability of the U.S. government to roll its debt and pay the interest and pay whatever it's necessary. Uh, if anything, what people should be concerned when they think about uh, that. So I always say the important thing about, uh, you know, the accumulation of debt is that the accumulation of debt implies that, you know, you're running deficits. And so you're spending money and you're taxing. And, and over time, that is okay if you use the spending to promote things that will be good for the American people and will generate growth. Why? Because that growth will lead to tax revenue that will allow you to pay everything in the future and you have no problem. And so we actually have used this money in very intelligent ways. We have, for you know, the first time in the Biden administration, tried to bring back, you know, um, industry back into the country. We are producing chips. We we are trying to spend in infrastructure. We are trying to spend in in green technology and energy, uh, which you know we will need in the future. So all of those things are things that will allow the economy to expand and grow in the future, and pay back the debt. So there is no reason to be afraid of an impending collapse, an Argentinian collapse of the American economy, in which we are not going to be able to pay. Oh, that's that. That's absolutely absurd. So, so that is fear mongering, and it's sort of the uh, the kind of fear mongering that uh, you know politicians on the right use to try to say that the left or whatever is perceived as the left, you know, the Democratic Party is spending too much money. We are going to be austere and not spend. And then the first thing they do when they come to power is cut the taxes for the very wealthy. So this kind of stuff, which is repeated. I mean, I've been in this country for almost 30 years and, you know, and and lived in the aura and the news of American, you know, so we have CNN at home back in, in Brazil in, in, in the 80s. So it's been forever. You know, it's, it's you know, it's the same thing Reagan said. Oh, those Democrats are spending too much. With me, this is going to end. And then cutting the taxes for the while and the deficits balloon and the debt balloons. So they're the party that has increased the, the debt. When they come to power, they generate deficits that are terrible deficits are deficit to give money to the very wealthy uh, and the current the current budget situation not only is safe but it's also intelligent it's trying to spend money in in good ways to promote growth in the future no it's you know, like i took an economics course you know 100 years ago and it was explained, you know, simply that good, the difference between good debt and bad debt. Good debt is, you know, you lose your job, you go out buy a suit, you, you do, do a resume, you take a class. That's good debt. Bad debt is, hey, I, I, I lost my job. I'm going to go on vacation. And, and, and I think you're right. You know, Biden and the Democrats have spent money, I think, in the right directions, uh, in, investing in infrastructure, reshoring manufacturing, ensuring that people can put food on the table and keep a roof over their head. And it's ironic to me that the very... They have been stopped in many ways. They could have, they, they, they could have done more. Absolutely. And, and we, we don't disagree on that. And it's because, and this is where I was going to go with this, it's because Republicans have so masterfully, through their media channels, told us, we're, we're going broke. We don't have any money. We've spent all this. We can't possibly help the poor, the downtrodden. We can't possibly invest in the future for education and health care. We can't do these things. Wish we could, but we're broke. And that's the narrative that's been playing out for the last 30-plus years. Yes, it, it is. 
it's disingenuous. It's dishonest. Uh, they know that that's not the case. The first thing they'll do if they win an election is cut taxes and maintain spending. And the difference is where the spending will go. The spending will go for corporate welfare. So they'll spend with contracts for, for the super wealthy. So so Mr. Elon Musk will get a, a super contract for NASA to put something on, you know, uh, on, on Mars or something along those lines. So so that that's the big difference uh, on this. It's it's that uh, they have money when they want to spend the money, and but they want to spend the money and redistribute it to, to the very wealthy. And to, your point, and to your point, I look at Missouri, Missouri, a solid red state. Uh, as we speak, they're moving legislation uh, to eliminate income taxes for corporations. A, a state that would lose, I think the, the number they said, they'd lose about $900 million if this were to happen. When you've got a state and one out of seven people in Missouri live in poverty. Uh, because, hey, we got to give corporate America more. Yeah. It gives. I don't remember who was the politician that said that Republicans are the party that you know think that government uh, doesn't work, and when they go to power, they prove it. And you know, and it and it is it is that's a case in point. You know, it's like uh, you know, it, it makes no sense. You know, it makes no sense. Now, for those who say you know it's unsustainable to continue to to grow debt and to keep doing this, I don't disagree with that. Uh, we do need to pay our bills. I say all the time, I'm a I'm a tax and spend liberal. Uh, in my household, if I need more money to fix the, the hole in the roof or, you know, whatever, you know, I bring in a little bit more money. I think we should be, as Warren Buffett said, um, we should be raising taxes on the very wealthy. We should be shoring up the folks on the bottom, extending the earned income tax credit. There are things policy-wise we should be doing to make the economy a little more fair for working people while simultaneously paying our bills. I'm, I'm for those Two, three things you said. So I'm for taxing the wealthy, although I think that that's more of a distributive issue. I'm for, and and the same, I think, about it, uh, earned tax income credit. Um, I think that when you look at the history of how that has come down, of consolidations, and how we brought it down, it was never, never by generating significant surpluses by cutting spending. It was very off. So, for example, the United States at the end of Second World War had 120 you know, debt to GDP ratio. And we're about that, about that level again. And, um, and it came down throughout the 50s and 60s. Well, most of the time we were on deficits, even with Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson. So the question is, how do you reduce the debt to GDP ratio if you are, you know, it's not the debt overall. So the, the debt grew. But the economy grew faster than the debt, so your ability to pay. So the the debt was becoming smaller uh, as your in, as the income of the economy as a whole was going up. So what was you know um, was generating this sort of you know reduction of the debt, bringing it into safe levels, exactly the sort of thing that you are suggesting is that in that period we spent money, money very wisely. We we did a GI bill. We, we, you know, we gave money to people to go to college. We gave money to people to buy their houses. We built infrastructure, you know, the, the road system that we still have with us. We sent people to the moon and all of the other things that are associated with that. So even the military industrial complex was used in a way that produced technological innovation and growth and, and so on and so forth. And, and so most of those increases, I should say, in productivity were passed to wages, so the consumption basis and you know, large middle class was created. So, And that was coming down. Not because we spent less, not because that, the size of the debt in, in dollar terms went and the debt went up, but the economy went up much more. And so the share of the debt went from 120% of GDP 
to about 30% of GDP. And so, so that's doable. That's doable. That's the way of getting out of that is spending intelligently so that the economy grows more than the debt we accumulate. The steal of Bushism to make the pie bigger. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly right. So before I let you go, 85% recession, the chances of that, if you were to assign a number, uh, would that be 85% wrong? Where do you, where do you, where do you, where do you see this potentially? This are less than 15%. So let's put it, you know, if we're going to put a number, this, this guy is almost a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Mateus, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Our good friend, Mateus Vernango. I want to hear your thoughts. Are you, are you concerned? Do you think that we're that close to recession? The 85%? I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. Miss any portion of the program? Make sure you grab the podcast. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So here's some fun and entertainment. Uh, obviously, the uh, State of the Union address is going to be March 7th, uh, as President Biden will will talk about the incredible accomplishments of his administration. I think kind of using this as the springboard for campaign season, saying, look, look at all of what I have done. Look at what the most productive presidency uh, in, well, in my lifetime, look at what it looks like. Look at the investments in infrastructure. Look at the investments in manufacturing. Look at the policies that we've moved to make people's lives better. Look at all this stuff. Uh, evidently, the Republicans and and Trump are are... Um, considering maybe Trump giving the rebuttal, which I think would be, well, <laughs> oh, please, please do that. Uh, anyway, here to share some thoughts on uh, the top stories of the day. Best our good friend Sarah Burris to come talk with us. Sarah's a reporter at Raw Story, rawstory.com, the website. Sarah, thanks for taking time for us. Please, God, let it be Trump. <laughs> that would just be seriously the chef's kiss. Uh, you know, I want him to you know, cozy up with Marco Rubio. Marco can hold, hand him a bottle of water. Uh, but <laughs> what do you think of that? I mean, you know, has the Republican Party completely lost their mind? Uh, I mean, because it looks like they're completely the Trump Party. They're no longer Republicans. They're the Trump Party. No, absolutely. That's absolutely the case. And um, so one of the stories that we were talking about before we jumped on is that um, – we talked to a whole bunch of members at the Capitol this week after the George Santos seat flipped to a, back to a Democrat. And a lot of them are just sort of, how should we, well, maybe not in denial completely, but they're, there's the, the sect of them that believes that the reason that the Republican lost is because she was not Trump enough which I think is amazing and I think should be applied to every single Republican candidate across the board. Yeah. No, I mean, if you listen to Marjorie three names, uh, you know, Marjorie mm -hmm. Taylor Greene said, you know, basically that said that uh, the reason that, you know, the Republicans are losing is they're not Trump enough, meaning, you know, they're not, they're not fascistic enough. They're not, uh, they're not crazy yep. enough. And I think too, her other point was um, she tried to say that redistricting made the district more democratic. She called it a, a D plus eight, which isn't true at all. Um, yeah, but again, these are people who truth. You know, these are the alternative facts people, Sarah. Yeah, it's true. I know we're surprised that somehow Marjorie was making stuff up. Um, 
we may actually have different district lines in the November election, but for this special election, it was the exact same lines as what George Santos had. Um, my favorite was that he texted a whole bunch of them afterwards, like this whole diatribe of, see, I told you so, and you deserve everything you get. It was really funny. Yeah, and the response to that is, you did this. You being such a horrible human being, you caused us to lose because you showed the American people exactly who we are. We've been hiding that very, very close to the chest, and you just very flamboyantly you know, bounced around the Capitol rubbing it in people's faces. My favorite response was the one Republican member of Congress in Maryland replied with, new phone, who dis? <laughs> I was like, well played, sir. Well there you played. go. No, 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 you know, trolling is good. I, you know, look, you know, the, I still think that the, the victory in trolling went to Joe Biden this week after the Super Bowl uh, with, the, with the image of him in the dark Brandon thing, you know, writing just as we drew it up about the Super Bowl. I thought that was perfect. That was perfect. And I, I mean, there were a bunch of responses of people who were making the conspiracy theory comments. But what I think played into that is that MAGA then threw this big fit and they were calling the Super Bowl rigged. And it's just like, wow, you guys are, are really sort of playing that stereotype. Like we, we make fun of you for this stuff. And you're, now you're just really going balls to the wall with it. Now they're all in, and this is this is the sad reality of where we are, and this is honestly the power of right wing media to convince otherwise somewhat thoughtful people that there really is a CIA conspiracy to overthrow our elections by using a pop singer and a football game, uh, because of course our CIA can do these kind of Rube Goldberg intricate schemes uh, that no one else can do, evidently. Right. Like, I can't imagine that that is somehow something that the government could pull off. But all of these other things, you know, just completely um, are, are just are, are unavailable for our government to do or figure out. Like, it just somehow this one thing they could they could manage without screwing it up or without, you know, anybody finding out. Yeah, but the, the nefarious you know, everything stuff. else in the world. The most outrageous, nefarious kind of stuff they can do. But, you know, simple things like, you know, paving roads and ending poverty and, you know, things that we know we, we, we have the answers to evidently can't do it or telling the truth. Right. And look, you know, what, what's interesting that's coming out this week is just how big of liars our Republican friends are. I mean, I don't know if you noticed that uh, uh, the, the DOJ charged one of the uh, the informants in the Hunter Biden case with making false statements and obstruction and surprising surprise. Um, you know, the Republicans were, were, were you all in on this, on this, this, well, nonsense. This is what happens when you put all of your faith in one single person and, and I guess put all your eggs in one basket and assume that this one guy is going to give you everything that you want and that he's completely verifiable. Um, do, but do you I think, guess hold no on, one let me, did. Let me ask you do, you, do you think that they cared whether it was verifiable or it was even true? This was about retribution. This was about revenge. And I think this is the important part in all this, because Trump is running a campaign on I'm going to get back into power and I'm going to exact my revenge. And this is the kind of stuff with what revenge minded people do. They don't care about truth. They don't care about reality. They don't care about legal. They clearly want to whatever by whatever means necessary to, to 
to make their objectives. And this is part of that, I think. Well, I think they tried to Benghazi Joe Biden. Yeah. It worked really successfully with Hillary Clinton, and it got them more information that led them to the email server issue. So even if they, um, you know, didn't find anything in the the Burisma issue, they were hoping to get all of the finances from Biden, from his family, his brother, his son, like everybody, and be able to comb through them and find information that they could use against him. And basically what happened is the the guy who um, was indicted by a, a grand jury actually indicted him, um, basically said that the testimony that he gave over time just kept changing. And um, he, you know, he, the, the original testimony was that Joe Biden got a $5 million deal from Burisma to hire his son um, because they wanted to get, you know, favorable treatment by the vice president and it just, it never happened. And now the guy who told him is being arrested because it never happened. And the thing for me is that this is another one of those moments where and this is another reason why I like Joe Biden so much. Uh, the more that this stuff comes out, the more it looks like he was completely on the up and up. And his character uh, in no way, shape or form tarnished by any of this. And what it came out for me is the guy's a good father. I mean, the kind of father I think every one of us would want. I do think that that is a huge part of this because his relationship with his son, um, I mean, obviously he has a very, very close relationship with his family after his wife and daughter were killed um, and the boys were hurt so bad. But um, I think because of his close relationship, this idea of um, what to do whenever your child is addicted to drugs has become such a big piece of this conversation. And so for those of us with family members who either died of an overdose or family members we've had who have been addicted, you know, this is a huge conversation that really was never dealt with during the Trump administration and it wasn't really taken seriously. And so I think there's some hope here that at least we have somebody in the White House who understands this and can hopefully help us figure out some solutions to a serious problem that should have been addressed a long time ago. Yeah. Now, where does the, where does this go then? I mean, uh, clearly, you know, we've been we've been mocking the uh, the witch hunt into Hunter Biden for a while. You know, James Comer, you know, basically saying they've got the smoking gun uh, and, you know, basically, you know, like a cap gun that that's wet. Uh, nothing. Um, does this does this go away? Do they double down? Do we eventually hold Comer responsible? You know, does Hunter Biden now have, you know, a, a smartmatic kind of lawsuit? I mean, because obviously the right wing echo chamber bought completely into all of this. Uh, where do you see things going from this moment forward? Or is this the, or do, like I said, do they just double down and, and find another another dupe to make stuff up? I do think that they'll probably double down. Um, I absolutely think that Hunter Biden should try and, and sue Fox News over this because Sean Hannity made this a huge part of his show. He took this one witness and did something like 45 um, monologues about it. And, you know, it, again, like you, when you put stuff on the air, you have to fact check this stuff. And again, this is something that they didn't do in this case. And I mean... I, I hopefully at the end of this, it will be, you know, Fox News brought to you by Smartmatic and Hunter Biden. 
No, but but here's my problem with this. Again, you know, Fox clearly, uh, I think, has some, some culpability here. But it's also, you know, the fact that um, the Republicans were so hell-bent on, on revenge, so hell-bent on going to get Joe Biden uh, like Democrats, like they believe Democrats did to, to Donald Trump, that, that facts and reality didn't matter. What Trump got impeached for, Trump did. This yeah. this completely different. Yeah, and I I think that Republicans, you know, they drink their own Kool-Aid, um, but they are so disconnected from the reality of the rest of America that they're missing so much of what they're saying and how it hits. You know, like there, there are so many people who aren't really paying attention to politics. Like I keep reminding myself, like we are not normal. You and I are not normal, not normal. people. <laughs> not even a little bit. And so nope. I always use my parents, you know, as the barometer for what normal people are, are hearing about. But when it comes to the, the Biden impeachment and all of that, like that was very, that was something they knew about, they were paying attention to. And so I like, ideally, you know, hopefully this can turn into some kind of, of, um, you know, question for, for James Comer. But at the same time, like he's already talked about how he's going to use this as another, um, you know, hearing against the IRS to look at ways in which the IRS selectively prosecuted certain people, which is interesting because I don't know if you remember, but, um, but our, our lovely friend, Roger Stone was not prosecuted for owing like $150 million um, or something ridiculous like that. And, um, and Joe Biden or uh, Hunter Biden was. So that seems like a selective prosecution to me. At the same time, there's also, I don't know if you remember, but during the Trump administration, um, there were all of these really invasive audits that happened for James Comey and Andy McCabe. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't, find anything i think andy mccabe they actually owed him money back um but you know it was something that just happened it was a very very rare audit that just suddenly happened to two of donald trump's biggest foes and no, um, look this is where i i, I keep I, I want people to understand that if trump is reelected in november uh, this is going to be the norm, this kind of retribution, this kind of, of weaponization of the IRS that Republicans claim is happening will actually happen. Because, you know, I, I, think, you know, I go back to what my mother always said. If someone's accusing you of doing something and you're not doing it, chances are it's them who's doing it. They're just trying to find someone to blame for it. And this is what, what you know, when because Republicans, they that this is their tick. You know, when they're making these accusations, it's what they want or what they are doing. So, you know, that's for me, that's where I start to look. What are the allegations and then what are their actions with those allegations? And more often than not, they're the ones doing this stuff. The thing is, is I really resisted that idea and that narrative for a long time because I kept thinking, you know, surely they're not that stupid. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> But no, these this, are people who are like, drunk with power, Sarah. They believe that they've that they're invincible because they're in gerrymandered districts where it doesn't matter what they do. As long as they stay on the crazy train, they're going to be fine. The second you step off, like the senator from your home state who found out what happens when you you buck the crazy train, um, that's when you get held accountable. But as long as you stay crazy, you're you're golden. 
And I think, too, Donald Trump has come down on them in a really serious way where I don't think he is afraid to threaten them with primaries, with like coming after them to take any of their power away. So it's not necessarily, you know, Democrats trying to threaten them or, um, you know, anything back home. It's it's their own people like they they are eating their own. And it's Donald Trump who's really at the at the head of that. Like he is the head snake who's trying to eat its own tail. Um, And I, I think that this idea of revenge and retribution, um, even if that is inherent in the Republican Party, I I don't know that they are necessarily, that a lot of those Republicans are brave enough to do stuff like that. Like they saw what happened with, with Benghazi. And so, you know, Jim Jordan was super excited to reinvent this wheel. But you know, obviously it hasn't turned out that way. And yeah. it's made a lot of people look really stupid. Um, and, and it's brought up a bunch of James Comer's, you know, financial issues. And so I just, I can't imagine that some of these Republicans who, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but we got another Republican member of Congress who is retiring this week, who announced that they were retiring. Um, a lot of those Republicans who I think are the old timers and the people who are, um, you know, maybe we considered to be somewhat sane. All of those people are just like, yeah, I'm out. So it really is going to be the inmates running the asylum if they take back Congress. And even if they don't take back Congress, I feel like that's going to be the Republican House for sure. No, look, if you're one of the, the the last of the old Republican guard, if you're one of the last ones at the party and Trump is elected in November, uh, the things that you're going to be required to do as a member of that caucus uh, are, are I, I'm going to say, are going to be criminal. And, and if you're smart, you're bailing right now so that you don't put yourself in that position. Because, look, none of them have. Um, I'm not going to say the courage, but none of them have the ability to stand up to him because the entire the entire establishment there, the entire Republican establishment is corrupt. It is. And, you know, I think looking at what happened in Oklahoma, again, bringing up James Lankford, like the state party um, mechanism got into this huge fight because half of it decided that they were going to um, um, censure him or, you know, give some sort of vote of disapproval for him. And then for they, doing his job. They pulled, they pulled that back. And I mean, it turned into this huge cluster, um, you know, in their state party. And then you've got this insanity going on in, in Michigan. And so it's, it, I feel like the Republican party was sort of always fighting itself between the moderates and the conservatives, now it really is sort of the right and the far right are now fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And it's just two pe- two different kind, you know, branches of the party who are so crazy and so willing to do um, even the craziest of things. And, and it's just like, man, sit back and watch the the smoke. But here's the thing, and this is where, where I... I, look, the, the puppeteers in Congress, the you know the the players in the game are one thing. The people who put them there, that's for me the problem. The fact that you would think in that environment that you've said the far right and the and then the crazy right, you know, they've co-opted the party. You would think, you know, those moderate Republicans would would go, no, we're we're not we're not doing this. We're taking our ball and going home. No, no, they just fall in the line and keep crazy in power. And that's my problem with the Republican voters that they know what's going on is wrong. They 
They know what their party is doing is destructive. And yet they keep voting for these people who have no ideas, who have no vision, who have no policy chops and are moving us towards a fascistic society. They're, there's no courage there. And that's where my problem is. And I think that's a huge question that should be taken to the voters, but nobody's doing that. You know, everybody's running their own races for their own seats and nobody is fighting as a broader conversation about, you know, hitting the Republican Party for what it has become other than Joe Biden. You know, and even in his case, he's talking about it with respect to the MAGA wing of the Republican Party. It's not, you know, showing that. No, it's not just the MAGA wing. It's the Tea Party wing. Like all of these people are crazy now. And that's because most of the sane people are are either terrified or they've already left. So finally, I've already been voted out. Finally, got to get your thoughts on because we need to create a horse race. We need to create some intrigue since it's going to be a long time till November. Evidently, Joe Manchin's back in the news again, Uh, you know, obviously flirting with a third party run. Uh, He's came out. He's come out and said that, you know, Mitt Romney right now would be his hypothetical running mate. Might even pick uh, Rob Portman from uh, from Ohio. Uh, When do when do we get rid of when does Joe Manchin go away? For the love of God, will Joe Manchin go away? <laughs> I I don't understand why somebody on the left hasn't offered him a very, very well-paid position doing something else. I'm sure they because are. Because that would, that would be the way to get rid of him is be like, here is a couple million dollars for you to sit here and talk about moderate policies and yada, 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 and just shut up. <laughs> and I, I think the, the thing about about Manchin going to Ohio and saying, oh, I'd, I'd love Mitt Romney, um, but then saying, but I'd be fine with Rob Portman. It's like, do you know the difference between those two guys? Like, it is it is really night and day here. Like, Rob Portman is kind of, I mean, he's not as, as Russia-focused as Ron Johnson is, but come on, man. I mean, is this, are you really just saying, um, you know, how about those dolphins while in Florida? Like, is that what it's about? Or... <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Yeah. And that's it. I think you get the nail on the head uh, looking for that payday. Uh, But Sarah, as always, great stuff. I appreciate the time. So much more to get to, but we're out of time. Thanks so much for taking time for us. Thank you. Have an awesome week. You as well. Our good friend, Sarah Burris. Make sure you check out the work she does over at Raw Story, rawstory.com for our free speech TV audience. Thanks so much for tuning in for our radio affiliates across the country. We're going to take a quick break right back after this. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1870. That was the day the powerful labor orator Leonora O'Reilly was born to an Irish immigrant garment worker in New York City. During her lifetime, Leonora left her special mark on the labor movement as a member of some of the leading organizations of working people of her day. At age 11, she went to work at a collar-making factory. By 16, she joined the Knights of Labor. Her activism as a feminist, suffragist, and trade union organizer led her to help form a chapter for women workers as part of the United Garment Workers of America. Leonora also helped to found the Women's Trade Union League chapter in New York. Although Leonora helped to found these women's organizations, she continued to push for men's unions to open up their doors to women members. 
She believed it would take men and women working together to improve labor conditions. Her skill as an orator put her in great demand. At the peak of her career as an organizer, she averaged one speech a day. After giving a speech to a large union of New York telegraphers, their newsletter declared, there is no record anywhere of a more magnificent speech than the one delivered by Miss O'Reilly. Leonora was a founding member of the organization that eventually became the NAACP. She spoke frequently about women's suffrage. In 1912, she appeared before a joint Senate committee to testify about the need for women to gain access to the ballot box, where she lived up to her fiery reputation, declaring, you cannot and will not make laws for us. We must make laws for ourselves. We working women need the ballot for self-protection. That is all there is to it. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So I want to wrap up today's program on, again, another reason why I'm a supporter of Joe Biden. The people that he has put into positions of power uh, in, in different organizations to do the things that we need them to do. And as I've said, you know, Jennifer Bruzio at the NLRB, huge, something we desperately need, a worker-centric, worker-friendly person over at the Department of Labor. Also, also Lena Khan over at the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, this is this is a big deal. This, this most recent notice uh, that has come out that said, hey, look, uh, we're finally going to do something about the misuse of AI. We're finally going to maybe do something to combat uh, AI impersonations of of people, uh, of corporations, of of organizations. Because look, these deep fakes. I don't know if you've seen many of them. It's scary stuff. Uh, now understand, we're so far behind in regulating what AI is going to do. We're so far behind in regulating what what this is not going to just do to our our workplaces and to to our individual lives but to our ability to govern to our ability to to have honest discussions and and well elect leaders on on real facts this this is troublesome uh, now, I think we're, we're way behind in this, but at least you've got the folks over at the Federal Trade Commission uh, now proposing some rule changes that would help. And, and, and again, we've got, re, we've got a lot of catch up to play uh, because as they point out, there's a, a surging number of complaints around impersonation fraud. Uh, and, you know, I had someone reach out to me and tell me that there's technology right now that when you you talk to somebody on the phone, um, and, and this is this just just scares me to no end, that you talk to somebody for a couple of minutes on the phone that they can actually you know basically grab your voice imprint, and and use your voice for other messages, and it sounds for the most part right now close to your voice. So if you have one of these things, and we've talked about this, we had Dana Nessel on the program, you know, talking about about identity theft and and fraud and all that. Imagine, you know, someone you know calls your grandmother and with your voice, or calls your mother, your elderly you know relatives, in your voice and say, "Hey, uh, I need I need I need some help." Uh, do you think they're going to do it? Of course they are. And to have this kind of ability uh, is is frightening. And he was saying, "Look, you know, it's only the technology is only going to get better." 
Uh, right now, there's some glitchy stuff. Right now, there's some problems. Right now, there's some stuff that you go, well, you know, they, they might get away with it sometimes, but not always. The technology going to get better, and it's going to get better fast. And this is why we need people who are going to get ahead of this. Again, not just in the workplace, but in all aspects of life. The fact that this, this is out there and possible is, is kind of frightening. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be delving into AI and delving into some of the, the things that could potentially come out of this. And, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get some, some ideas on you know, how we move forward in this brave new world and maybe how we protect ourselves, our neighbors, our families, and our jobs in our society uh, from people who just simply want to do us harm. Uh, but I, I'm going to want to hear your thoughts. Email me, Rick, at the ricksmithshow.com. Have you been contacted by any of these 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 AI fakes, these deep fakes? I've seen some. Man, they're scary. Uh, but I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, Rick, at the ricksmithshow.com. If you miss any portion of the program, make sure you grab the podcast. Wherever you find your favorite podcast, you'll find ours. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick at rick at thericksmithshow.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk.